It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello, welcome to the True Penny Show. My name is James True Penny. This is my show, and this is the show we've been waiting for about a month for. This is the G1 Climax Finals show, and to join me to discuss all the doings on at Budokan Hall is Mr. Marcus Green of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. How are you doing, sir? No, I'm good. I'm I had good. To, I had to try to squeeze myself back in here one last time. I felt like we kind of kicked things off, so I had to come back uh, at the tail end of everything. <laughs> <laughs> we will have a guest slot from Mr. Mo Chatter of the Daily Mirror later on. Uh, but uh, for today, me and uh, Marcus are going to go through the whole show give our closing thoughts on the G1 and look forward to what comes next, which will be the Super J Cup. And it'll be at the Copper Box Royal Quest. So lots of things to talk about because a ton of stuff happened on this show. But we started with the, uh, what's this, dojo battle. Clark Connors and Carl Fredericks defeated Ren Narita and Yotosuji in 9 minutes and 53 seconds. And then there was a pull-apart brawl between all the young lions of various different groupings. This was a fun match. And in fact, the cage match users rated this a lot higher than some of the matches with a lot of veterans on. What are your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Yeah, I got to agree with him. Um, this was, uh, was a showcase of the future right here. I mean, you know, because uh, I got used to the straight up and down young line matches, but this was, I guess, a class of dojos, if you will, um, mm-hmm. with the LA dojo. And, and uh, so. Yeah, you know, this is kind of revelation for me with Carl Fredericks and Clark Connors uh, and stuff. Uh, newbies to me, but they, they really killed it. And obviously, uh, Ren and, and, and uh, Yoda really brought it. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was just a great back-and-forth match. These young lines really are the future. Even me and Limited and what they could do, they always, you know, go that extra mile and really turn up that intensity. So um, these are not guys you want to scoff, you know, Scarf it. This is the literal future right here. You know, stuff they yeah. were doing, crisp and everything, and just some sick chops. You know, <laughs> saying a lot concerning who's actually on this card in these tag matches as well. So, you know, uh, like I said, I agree. And, and the fact that the cage match users, like you said, rated high. Those guys uh, don't don't miss a lot. You know, so no, yeah, no. This, this is right, right on the money right here. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic, and uh, you get the feeling that. Um, the boys at the LA Dojo have been trained very well and very hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, I, I had still forgotten his name. I can't remember the guy who trains him now. It's Katsuyuri Shibata, yeah. yeah. Katsuyuri Shibata um, and um, Scorpio Sky was, until he left for AEW, uh, the head trainer uh, or assistant head trainer at the LA Dojo. Um, so they've done a fantastic job with these young lions and be interesting to see how they're filtered into the New Japan system. But New Japan have got a lot of talent and have spent a lot of money on making the LA Dojo a big viability. So we shall see. Right then, next match up, Jeff Cobb, Jushin Thunder Liger and Tiger Mask defeated Suzuki Gun, Lance Archer, Taishi and Yoshinubi Kanemura. This was very good and a lot of fun, really. Um, kind of nice round off the first time seeing Liger and also the last time we will see Justin Thunder Liger in Budokan Hall. This was very special indeed in that kind of sense, but also just a fun match that kind of gave everybody their chance to do their thing. Uh, not a lot to be said about it other than that. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Yeah, always fun seeing uh, Liger. You know, he is an absolute legend ever since the word. 
um, you know, Tiger Mask is Tiger Mask. Jeff Cobb, you know, he's still coming along. Um, yeah, like we talked about it before. Lance Archer has been a revelation, I, I would imagine, to a lot of people uh, in this tournament and stuff. And, uh, you know, Tashi's there. But, uh, yeah, not, not a lot to say, but this was a this was a fun bout, you know. Uh, so, again, you know, we're kind of seeing, a, I guess, the, the last thing stretch for, for Jushin. But, uh, you know, I was glad we get to see it. I did, so, I did tell Lance Archer last night that he was a guy that defied gravity and he was very thankful for that because he has just been so ridiculous. Spanish flies, moonsaults off the top rope, are just unreal in this tournament for a guy of his age. And for We kind of thought he was more or less done as an active player and now he comes back firing on all cylinders. This was an exceptional month for him. Yeah, absolutely. Cannot say enough about him. And you're right, Jeff Cobb kind of finding his groove in New Japan Pro Wrestling. But you don't want to hang about with that because there's plenty of people who will be looking for his job if he's not careful. <laughs> yes, yes, there will be. Mm. Sorry, just finish me coffee. Right, then, next matchup was Sho and Yo. Uh, nice to see them. I haven't seen them in a while because um, I haven't been watching the undercards and they kind of took a month off. Uh, I believe Yo was doing his first art exhibition. Um, and they tagged with Will Ospreay to defeat Chase Owens, Taiji Ishimori, and Yujo Takahashi in your kind of classic bullet club kind of chaos rivalry um, with a bunch of guys who were all really, really good. And they did a good job. And it was seven minutes and 57 seconds of fun. And uh, the kind of expected winners won, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like I said, this is kind of what you expect. Now, you know, your, your Osprey, uh, Osprey leading Charles Show and Yo. You know, um, you would expect kind of had advantage. It's good to see Ishimori again. I don't think I, I've seen a lot of him since uh, the juniors uh, Super Junior tournament. So uh, that was cool. Always fan of uh, everything between uh, with Chase Owens in this G1 alone has been quite hilarious with some of the stuff he's done. <laughs> and, uh, as always, you girl got to appreciate you for the entrance. But uh, yeah, this, this is kind of exactly what you expect. Straight up and seven down, straight up and down. Uh, no more, no less. Didn't need to go past seven minutes. Are we appreciating you, Jero, or are we more appreciating Peter? Yeah, it's definitely Peter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I said, I always appreciate him for the entrance, which is, is pretty much all about Peter. You know, so. You know. <laughs> yeah, uh, Tokyo Latina always tends to steal the show because she's that kind of gal. And as been mentioned many times before, it's Actually, probably far more interested than usual. Bless these cotton socks. Uh, but yeah, Chase's C Block champion taking the title from Dave Finley. I genuinely believe that Dave versus Chase is a money program that someone should put behind for the C Block championship playoff over the last two years. Um, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I still want to believe Chase is still in that paradise line, by the way. <laughs> But yeah, this is this was pretty fun stuff, and it kind of will blow off a bunch of guys who, who always work really hard and get to play the big shows because they always work really hard. Next up was a bit more of an intriguing one: Toa Henere and Juice Robinson defeat John Moxley and Shota Umino in six minutes and nineteen seconds. Now, this was really more about like John Moxley and Juice Robinson. Toa Henere and Shota Umino were along for the ride. In Shota's case, very much along for the ride. He didn't really do much except get pinned. Uh, me, me and Ashley were joking the other day about my friend Lost Wolfing Mirror uh, and to her saying that John Moxley is just a bad influence and will one day derail a young man that he's just uh, taken down the garden path of debauchery 
And I think we're starting to see that with Shelter now. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it was, it was entertaining at first, kind of surprising, to be honest. Um, <laughs> he's obviously been on a tear, and I'm like, he picked up Shoulder now, you know. Cause we've been raving about Shoulder so much, you know, speaking of young lines, it's been on fire, and then he kind of hooked up with Moxley. Uh, now it's getting a little weird, because we still don't know, like, how much longer we got got with Mox, obviously. Um, he's still the champion, went on a tear in G1, uh, and thankfully Juice handed him a right L before, you know, uh, ending the tournament. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with this and in what direction they go if Mox uh, takes his leave eventually because uh, Umino is one of those emerging guys talking about taking somebody like Jim Cobb's spot. Umino could easily go on a tear on his own, but uh, sticking with Mox, he's kind of going to get dropped in the background. There's so many faces and stuff going on in these cars, it's kind of easy to get lost in translation, specifically under a guy who's taking a lot of that spotlight anyway. Yeah, I think the thing with Moxley is he's come in, he's done the job he was hired to do, which was get eyes on the product in on the New Japan during the G1, which is obviously the big showcase window for New Japan Pro Wrestling. You get to see all the stars all the time. He will have put a big uh, booster in North America for them, but he's really, we're not really sure how long he's going to be there for. He's obviously his main priority is AEW, which has kind of been off the boil whilst they set up TV tapings. So he was able to go do the G1. And I think he kind of just wanted to do the G1. And the other stuff was kind of a layup the game in the G1. So he's, he's done that now. From a personal point of view, does he need to stick around? Will AEW let him if he is signed to them, which we, think he, which we believe he is? Um, so it's just a matter of like how can he fit things in if he's going to stick around? Though I have a feeling they would be backing up a truckloads of yen to his backyards considering the performance he's put in late in this tournament. Yeah, yeah. so we'll have to see. But Juice looks like a megastar with this feud with Moxley. He looks like he's on the right direction. He looks like a great wrestler. He looks like he's doing the right things all the time. I can't fault him at the moment. Juice is one of my favorite wrestlers in New Japan, has been since he came to to New Japan, but he's on a different level compared to where he was six months ago. Yeah, exactly. kind of felt like that that last G1, he kind of lost some of his mojo a little bit, and then obviously... Um, dropped the title of Moxley and has gone through a journey whatever. I think this G1, this one in particular, he's kind of found himself again. I think uh, beating Moxley was kind of that, that you know, revitalized a step in that, I guess, towards him not only getting that championship back but elevating to another level because he, he definitely um, had to raise his game uh, against, uh, you know, the guys in his block this time around. And thankfully he wasn't working with some type of uh, injury or anything so he could go full out. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see what happens with that, but it, it's looking really, really cool for all players involved, including Toa Henry, who again is looking pretty sharp. They just haven't figured out what to do with him yet. Yeah, yeah they'll, they'll, they'll figure out something. <laughs> all right, next we move on to a 10 man tag Los Ignorables de Japon, Bushi, Evil, Sonada, Shingo Takagi, and Tetsuya Nato. That's all of LIJ minus Hiromu. Get well, Sue Hiromu, please. Yes. Uh, and they. They defeated Chaos, Hiroki Goto, Toriyano, Great Bashiel, Togi Makabe, and Tommy Akihoma, and Raisuki Taguchi in 8 minutes and 56 seconds. This was kind of, it was just ridiculously fun thing to watch because everybody was everywhere all the time. And it was two really good sets of teams doing cool stuff with each other. And I just can't complain with this. It was just fun. What were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, same here. It was fun. It's always fun seeing LRJ back together. Uh, specifically in this uh, fashion because uh, 
you know, Shingo Sonata Evil and, and Naito have uh, definitely had an interesting G1, to say the least. Uh, definitely been a roller coaster ride for them. But yeah, you know, you, you got uh, Taguchi and Yano in a, in a match. The shenanigans are going to be abound. So, like you said, this was just a fun match. It's always cool to see these factions come together. And uh, yeah, it kind of just was what it needed to be. Yeah, it was it was just fun. And not really say an awful lot about it for that. I mean, we kind of got to figure out where uh, um, NATO's going to go because he was like the locked-on favorite to win UCSG1, and he didn't. Um, Sonata has possibilities of more shots with Akada after beating Akada in the tournament. Yep. Evil's got places to go as well. Bushy uh, is Bushy. Shingo Takagi announced himself as a heavyweight, so that kind of leaves the junior division to Bushy as far as LIJ is concerned until uh, Hiroma gets back. Um, on the other side of the equation, Goto had a resurgent G1 climax. I'm sure you are quite grateful for that, as will Christy be. Yep. <laughs> and yeah. Toriano was arguably one of the best wrestlers in the G1 this year, just from his outstanding output. He actually put in wrestling matches at times. He, was mo- he went back to some big suplex moves and did the usual shenanigans, but kind of with an edge this time. He actually wanted to win the tournament this year and uh, put a concerted effort into trying to do that. He was actually in contention until the last night, which is really, really cool to see and a cool angle to play with someone like Yano. Yeah, it's funny talking about, you know, uh, looking at what happened with Yano, considering the fact that we saw some of the most interesting, to say the least, finishes towards the end of the tournament with guys like Fale and, and a couple of others just, just getting these out-of-nowhere wins, specifically with roll-ups. Yano is yeah. still the king of, by the way. Yeah, stealing Yano's shtick, stick, obviously. It's just wrong. I'm telling you, just wrong. But maybe his opposition is learning the lessons of the sublime master thief. He's taught them too well. <laughs> and and Raisuki Taguchi is, is Raisuki Taguchi. There is no other person like Raisuki Taguchi. That's the terrible thing about him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Makabe Yohama doing Maccabe and Honda style things, I think they'll probably have another run at G.O.D., you would think, sometime in the future, because they need some tag team runs for G.O.D. to do, because they have to pick up the pace in the tag division next. So we'll see where they go with that. But yeah, yeah. Uh, just a fun match again. Right, now we get to the business end of things. The last three matches were incredibly important, not only uh, for this particular card, but also in the actual realm of what was going on in pro wrestling in New Japan. Bullet Club, Bad Luck Farley, Tamatonga, and Tangalea, that's your IWGP Tag Team Champions. They defeated Chaos, Tomohiro Ishii, and Yoshihashi, and Kenta. However, Kenta wasn't necessarily on their side. In 8 minutes and 35 seconds, now you're saying that's going to be incredibly short for those six guys, and it was, really. But Kenta turned on... Chaos halfway through the match and aligned himself with Bullet Club, uh, making a two sweet signal and joining in the fun of beating up Tomohiro Ishii and Yoshihashi after the bell. And who would come and make the save but Katsuyuri Shibata, who looked like the Shibata of old, laying in floating drop kicks and giving Kenta the best, the best sticking shots he could give him. Now, we're not saying Shibata's coming back, but he looked like a million dollars. I'm hoping he doesn't because he's not a well man and he doesn't need to. 
but I'm hoping it was just an angle to build something up for Shibata to find somebody to knock Kenta down with. What are your thoughts on this match? What are your thoughts on Kenta turning heel and becoming a member of Bullet Club? And what are your thoughts in general on Kenta's G1 and uh, Bad Luck Farley's G1 and Tomohiro Ishii's G1, I should say, as well? Yeah, yeah, a lot to unpack it. Oh, how the tables have turned. You know, we've this before. <laughs> How one of the driving narratives, along with, with, with Kenta's, you know, uh, journey through this G1, has been the fact that uh, no, he's, he's really not had any support from New Japan faithful. You know, uh, he, he's kind of been uh, the quote unquote villain overall for as phenomenal of a G1 as he had. You know, he, he wasn't getting a lot of support. You know, and, well, uh, well, I, well, I will say this: he's still a Noah guy as far as they're concerned. So it was yeah. all going to be a tough sell, and yeah. Kenta. And Kenta was a badass heel back in the early 2000s, so they're not really sure who, how to react to him in one sense. I will give that the Japanese fans the benefit of the doubt there because he's not one of their guys, you know. Um, and also, he has had a great tournament, but when you do all the ads and the tiebreakers and everything, he actually finished ninth out of ten in the block. Well, that is interesting. Yeah, which is because. Uh, <laughs> Ash, uh, Ash was winding me up. Obviously, she's Queen Bullet Club, and she was winding me up over Twitter about the fact that they got Kenta, and just like, oh, he's left chaos. I'm like, we aren't in chaos to start with. And he also, I would, be, I would, uh, in my kayfabe style, here, I was just like, well, I'd be concerned that you've just managed to pick up a, 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 a cruiser heavy cruiserweight, a cruiserweight reject who finished ninth in his block. Maybe she would pick somebody better. But I didn't mean that in like a, in a harsh way. Obviously, I think Kenta's awesome. But I think that attitude is where the fans are coming from. You are an outsider. You left us. You didn't want to work for a Japanese company. You wanted to work for somebody else. And yeah. you know, it's not nationalism, but there is a certain collectivism to Japanese fans. You know, the New Japan fans tend to be pretty loyal, but they do watch Noah and they do watch All Japan and they watch Big Japan and they they love their wrestling. And when someone left to go and then come back again, uh, they are going to make you earn it. And I think that's part of the deal as well. But it certainly makes Kenton more viable as a singles player. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, to hear you kind of go through that. Because I, I wonder if they feel the same way. Because he's just so beloved. Like I said, he felt like the Michael Jackson of New Japan. If they, they kind of do the same thing with Shinsuke. But I think the, the kind of... Um, asterisk here is the fact that he was the Noah guy and that's always been a point of contention against New Japan. Yeah, yeah. I think I think if, if Shinsuke came back, I think this would be, would be some wariness, but they would op- op- welcome him with open arms, whereas Kenta was never a New Japan guy and, you know, you even saw that in Budokan Hall in his last block match. Like, Budokan Hall was his home arena. He had some of the biggest nights of his career over the GHC Heavyweight Championship at Budokan Hall and the fans didn't welcome him, did they? No, they, they didn't. Um, and it's been interesting because I was talking to someone else about this. I said it felt like him him joining the Bullet Club almost felt like a middle finger back at the fans. <laughs> you know, on his side because, you know, um, you know, uh, are you going to, you know, persecute me in a way for, for you know, uh, knowing this, that, and the third? I'm going to join, you know, the faction that spits in people's face the most. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, did, didn't see it coming, but it's definitely interesting. Definitely, uh, you know, uh, we talked about this before. Like, it feels like, you know, every year, you know, we get around a certain section of the, of the year where, you know, Bullet Club has to do a draft of a new member. So, yeah, yeah. you know, for them to pull Kenta is a huge thing, but even more so, um, you know, for, for 
uh, just get, I guess, getting his G1 first. Like you said, he uh, he had a good G1. He started out real hot and kind of tapered off towards the end, which, you know, thinking back to it explains why he ended up ninth out of 10th. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, he, he needed to show that, you know, he could knock that rust off, get the back to someone that can't have old and really uh, elevate himself to, to this tournament. And then maybe that's another thing that I guess some of the fans have a crawl about. You're going to come back, uh, you know, you'll know a guy, then you're going to go to U.S. and you're going to come here, and then you're just going to insert yourself in our premier tournament. So, yeah, yeah, you know, that yeah, might be yeah. a, a, a sticky thing too. So, uh, yeah, yeah, did not see this coming. But, uh, again, Bullet Club normally gets a, a big moment every year, um, and this is probably one of their – Definitely uh, most memorable things. But uh, overall, I just think with this, I was just so glad to see Shibata uh, just in the form we got him in. I mean, you know, you, you talk about a year and some change ago, we didn't know if he was going to be in any suitable co- condition in terms of, you know, being mobile. So, you know, he was kind of at that edge and, and you know, uh, well, a lot of people might not necessarily come back from it all in terms of mortality. So for him to be look the way he looks and to do any type of action, you know, kind of really just speaks to how far he's come uh, from his injury. So, like you said, hopefully we don't really get um, him in any premier action because if I see one headbutt, I'm turning it off. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing for me. Yeah. I w- yeah. Carry on, you're just going to say. No, no, yeah, I was just saying I, I'm turning it off, but it, it was just good to see him back, back, back up and running because, you know, prayers were seriously up for him when uh, yeah. his his initial injury, and I, I don't think a lot of people really realize the severity of it. I saw some people kind of, um, obviously you don't watch uh, WWE, but they was kind of comparing Sasha Banks' return with Shibata's. I'm like, a lot of you people really don't understand what it <laughs> meant for him to come back walking, period. You know? Yeah. So, that, yeah. yeah. No, not on Sasha, but yeah. Shibata coming back, it was... I, every year he does something at G1 Climax Final. Two years ago, I was live tweeting the event for Total Wrestling Magazine, and I nearly cried when I when I heard his music because I never thought I'd hear his music again. And it was it would get I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it now. And then last year he came back to corner Tanahashi, and this year he comes back with this massive angle. A um, couple of things I was going to say before we move on, but we have to talk about Tomohiro Ishii. We will do in a second. We were saying, you were saying quite rightly then, we never saw this coming. But actually, in the aftermath, a lot of the fans have been thinking about storylines of the past. And I came up with a point as well. One of the points was, who was the last recruit from Bullet Club? And the last recruit for Bullet Club was Taiji Ishimori, long-time Noah Jr. heavyweight ace. Mm. It was in our faces all the time as somebody pointed a picture, posted a picture of Ishimori and Kent together. And my storyline point as well, and why it works as a storyline was, when Kenta was in NXT, Shota, uh, Shofunaki had to go get some help for, um, had to go get, bring some help from, Kenta said, bring some help back, sorry, Hideo Itami said, bring some help back from Japan. I need help to deal with, I can't remember who they were, they were, Healy, uh, the, they were the Ascension, I think. They were feuding with the Ascension at the time. I need some help from Japan. And who was the guy they got from Japan? It was Prince Devitt. So there's two links in storylines in other companies, but it all fits together. Of course, Kenta was Bullet Club. (laughs) (laughs) 
Very clever. Anyway, I doubt it was ever actually thought out like about that, but we can put our own history in because this is what makes wrestling awesomely fun. Uh, Tomohiro Ishii, just wanted to talk a little bit about him. I'd argue the best wrestler in the world right now with a completely straight face. I think Okada's obviously still up there, but I think Tomohiro Ishii has had better matches with everyone he's wrestled this year, and I'm looking forward to that match. Pardon me. Uh, the match at uh, Royal Quest for the Never Open Weight Championship with Kenta is going to be unreal, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the best compliment I could give the man, um, and this is truly not a knock, you know, this this is a phenomenal field of talent. We know the standard that New Japan has set. But if you have a contest with Ishii and it's not a good match, it will it, it was probably your fault. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was probably you. If it ended up a bad match, it was probably you because this man has been on fire. You know, the amount of punishment he dishes out and, and, and even more so takes. And just the, the level of consistency. Like, he set the standard in this tournament for great matches. I mean, with Shingo and, and, and freaking Moxley and, and whoever else. I mean, if you wasn't having a great match with this man, you were just having an all night. So, you know, like you said, I got to agree with you, best best in the world, you know, right yeah, now. I mean, yeah. obviously, you know, everything's subjective in here and there. But, but the man's track record literally speaks for itself. In every yeah. sense, so you know, um, him versus Kenta, Kenta. I'm, I'm just getting my ice pack ready. Oh yeah, this, you, you're going to need an ice pack to watch this match. Never mind being it; it's going to be brutal. And if you're going to the copper box, take some earplugs because them chops are going to be loud. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the kind of match that the giant babble will be smiling over somewhere. Uh, on the other side, Tamatonga and Tangaloa. Lost the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships to uh, the Briscoes in uh, Ladder Wars match not long ago. But kind of like waiting to get their groove back in New Japan. They've had a month off. They've settled. They've sorted. This is the thing about New Japan schedules. They've got that many guys and that many different divisions. They can kind of rotate things around. This week, the focus is on the junior heavyweights again. And they're all in America. So the heavyweights can take a rest and slow down a bit and uh, have some time for themselves. And the focus is somewhere else. New Japan always has something to show, but it always takes the pressure off when they need to. So that's a really cool thing about the way New Japan comes up. And Bad Luck Farley is learning more wrestling moves. Small package to win his last match with. Yeah, the man is uh, he waited to the uh, end of a tournament to turn into a technical savant. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was... It, it, it's funny, it's not just the fact that he's doing the school board, it's the fact that a man of that mass has you rolled up. Yes. So, yes. you know, it, it's, it's for somebody to fall to him, it's obviously kind of off putting, but it makes all the sense in the world. Um, he's he's clearly. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, he's become the Luthez of the Pacific Ring. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the Luthez. Um, <laughs> that, is, that is hilarious. I mean, the man, I mean, he's already got the grenade and the dog on bad luck for him, but now you got to worry about him down low, too. Like, like if he, <laughs> he, he almost could have had like a show stealer match the way he wrestled at the end here with with um, Zach Saber. Um, yeah, yeah. How things went, but uh, yeah, you know, Bad Luck Fale is always going to fit in somewhere. Uh, Loa and Tonga are going to find their groove again. I don't even know if they really, um, really cared to keep those always titles. I mean, coming off of that. Uh, <laughs> Coming off of that big show they had, I, I, I think they kind of had their mind made up about the perception of all age. So, you know, I think they're fully obviously invested in New Japan. And now with Kenta in the ranks, it's like, oh, the Ring of Honor, who? 
So yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, dropping into the Briscoes, who are absolutely the 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 you know the, those guys are going to retire in in uh, mm-hmm. Ring of Honor. So you know I, I don't I don't think that's anything they they too tri- uh, tripping over. So yeah. No. But uh, apparently not aesthetically pleasing enough for WWE, the Briscoes. Um, <laughs> anyway, we move on to the semi-final, which was a blinder. Minoru Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr., one of the most underrated tag teams in the world right now, they defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada in 15 minutes and 27 seconds. Now, before the G1 started, Minoru Suzuki got on the mic and said, you disrespected me by not including me in the G1 Climax. Well, I'll get my revenge. And he bided his time, and he waited for his chance to strike. And he struck, he struck hard on the biggest boy in the yard. He defeats Kazuchika Okada with a Gotch-style pile driver. And when was the last time we said that? In the middle of the ring, one, two, three. Zack Sabre Jr. gets Hiroshi Tanahashi at the copper box for the Rev Pro Undisputed British Heavyweight Championship. Kazuchika Okada defends against the king of pro wrestling. Marcus, your thoughts on this match? Oh, that was, for Suzuki, that was just simple and brilliant. Because he's not wrong. Uh, because even though the man showed improvement in the tournament, Tai Chi was in it. So, <laughs> <laughs> he's absolutely not wrong. Uh, and a lot of people were kind of uh, kind of mildly flabbergasted that Suzuki wasn't included in the tournament because that's always a thing in itself. I mean, you know... Uh, you know, if Ishii is the standard, you know, uh, Suzuki tends to be the, the, the killer, if you will. But, yeah, it, it's kind of cool in a, in a way and good that he kind of did get left out of the tournament because now it leaves him to, to kind of go on a tear uh, with someone yeah, specifically yeah. aiming it at Okada, who a lot of people kind of, I guess, had pegged to win, you know, with the whole narrative that was going, um, just w- w- what he was trying to do. So, yeah, I mean, this perfectly sets up because if he wasn't tournament, I don't think it will set up as good for um, the upcoming show, which a lot of people, I guess, would expect uh, New yeah. Japan cooling off here coming out of G1. But this is uh, just keeping up with that momentum. So, you know, for, for Okada to come off this tournament and go right into Suzuki, no days off for the man on top. No, no, that's it. It's the way it goes. If you're the champ, you have to kind of eat the stuff that comes towards you. And, you know, Minoru Suzuki is a good choice for the copper box. He's a former Reprobation undisputed champion. He's very popular in the United Kingdom in the sense of people who want to go see him. Not, you know, popular, popular. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and can you imagine the copper box when uh, Cozy Nina Ray hits? That's going to be absolutely amazing. They should be. They should pay ticket, pay for tickets just to see that entrance. Um, but yeah, I think this is a good move on New Japan's part. Zack Sabre Jr. versus Roshi Tanahashi is going to be unreal as well. You know, the biggest name in Japanese wrestling of the last 15 years against arguably one of the biggest draws in British wrestling ever. Uh, it's a double main event made in heaven for that particular venue. And, you know, New Japan, they don't give New Japan credit for things like that, but they actually make their shows bespoke to where they're going when they're doing stuff. And this is a brilliant idea and a brilliantly well put together card because everyone's been paying attention to the G1. And in a couple of weeks, they're in London and that's going to be a big, massive show um as well as the nxt takeover in cardiff on the same day <laughs> so it's going to be quite awesome for wrestling fans in the uk that weekend yeah and then we get to the main event of the evening a no time limit match for the g1 climax 29 championship 
between Kota Ibushi and Switchblade Jay White. Five and a half stars from Meltzer, 9.40 from the cage match users. Jay White and Kota Ibushi tore it up in this match. 31 minutes and one seconds. It was astounding, considering the fact that we don't necessarily always associate Jay White with absolutely spellbinding matches. This was something very special indeed. And Kota Ibushi takes the championship in a very emotional win in a building he was banned from when he wrestled for DDT for doing a moonsault off the balcony. He pretty much is the king of Budokan these days. And this was incredible. It showcased Ibushi at his best. He's no longer the aerial flyer he used to be ever since his match with Will Ospreay back in January. He's kind of had to change his style up and he's made it much more ground and pound, much more about striking and much more about being a straight professional wrestler. The aerial stuff may be out the window, but this was on another level. Jay White, again, has grown in his role as top heel. He is the most hated man in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and that was quite visible in this particular match. The fans absolutely despise him in a very good way. And the match quality was there, which is what we expected from the G1. And largely, as we've reviewed this G1, we've talked to different people, they've considered it the best G1 ever. So the final had to be this good. And I have to say, it may be the best final I've seen in a long time. I think the final last year with Tanahashi and Ibushi was just as good. But this was a different way of telling a similar story. There were some goosebump moments. Uh, we've got Mo Chashford talking about this final in a couple of minutes, but I'm going to take Marcus's uh, opinions on it first. Just special. What are your thoughts on this, Marcus? Yeah, absolutely. 100% everything you said. Um, and I think uh, I think I saw, saw some people kind of critiquing this because it wasn't that straight up and down technical classic. Um, yeah. In, in a way, but I think to me, looking at it from a different perspective, that's the beauty of it. Um mm. Like you said, you know, um, Jay White has really come in and, and evolved into that ultimate, that spoiler, the the, the guy that makes uh, everybody cringe when they see him, specifically New Japan Faithful, because they know what they're about to get. And when he comes out with, feel like the entire Bullet Club, you know what's coming. It's not like he hasn't been showing you throughout the entire G1, as if yeah. not, you know Bullet Club has been showing. I mean, we've seen five A's matches, um, but yeah, he's kind of played that ultimate spoiler. When you look at it, I feel like. What we got with this match was everything encapsulizing Abushi's journey to getting to the mountaintop. You know, we talked about he, he's the guy that had all the tools and everything, and then from Super Junior to, you know, the IC. Um, but for me, and I, I talked about this with someone else, to me, he was never going to get the shot that he has earned, deserved, and needed to get until Omega left. Like 100%, he was never going to get that sure shot, uh, non-interrupted, like tunnel vision towards the top until Omega left because as, as great as that relationship is, while Omega was on top and Abushi was kind of in the picture, but not really, it was almost a hindrance that it was Omega that had that title. Um, so, uh, you know, it could really fully invest in, in terms of, you know, his, his motivations. But now it's like that. that's kind of out of the way. And, you know, he can kind of just fully showcase everything great about him without any interruptions or any asterisks towards anything. And, you know, uh, it's been building for years now. And, and with Jake White, with interference, low blows, weapons, like it really just kind of encapsulates his climb to finally get to that, that title match. He's had title matches before, but it really feels like the narrative is, is gearing towards a win for this guy finally. So, um, 
Yeah, like you said, it was brilliant. This is everything Jay White has been. You know, this is also a successful loss for him because, like you said, it's it's hard to take that spot as ultimate heel in New Japan because, you know, Suzuki's always there. You know, Naito can, you know, do his thing from time to time depending on, you know, uh, what direction. And you got other guys there, like Lance Archer and stuff like that. Tashi's a thing. So it's uh, it's really interesting seeing the spot that he's taken and really embraced you know, because this is this is coming off of him being a champion. So, yeah, it, it was brilliant. Um, this is well earned for Bushi. That was an emotional win. I saw you retweet that great moment where he absolutely dropped him with a slap. <laughs> that was absolutely brilliant because uh, nobody can sell a shot like a Bushi, but now nobody can give a shot like a Bushi. So, no. uh, yeah, it, it, it was uh, it was absolutely brilliant. All it threw everything at the man, and he still found out on top. Which you know that, that that's that's Ibushi's journey, and I'm glad he's decided to to kind of stick it out long term with with New Japan. Yeah, me yeah. too. And I, I think as well. I mean, me and Ash, Ash talked this about this a long while, a, a couple of episodes ago as well. The fact that he did sign that long term contract has kind of cleaned cleaned up where he's going to be, and it's going you know, it seems to have centered him. And you're right about the Kenny Omega stuff. He was the <laughs> I hate to say side chick, but that's the kind of role he took as when Kenny was there, he yeah. was always on the outside looking in because Kenny was the man. Whereas now he's the he's the leader. He's the focus is on him, not the Golden Lovers. And though it was the right tag match thing to do at the right time and kept them both on the boil, I think, you know, Kota by himself has a far greater kind of appeal and draw than the Golden Lovers will do in the long term. The Golden Lovers was a great angle and it was the best thing they could do to reintroduce Kota and Kenny as something different and something special. But I think in the long term, uh, it's going to be, you know, Kota as a New Japan guy is something we don't, we, we are sure of now. Whereas it was always before he might go off and raise goats in Tibet or something. So, whereas now he, we know where he's going to be for a long time. As Mo Chatra pointed out, though, like, you know, replacing like Tanahashi as the number one babyface in New Japan Pro Wrestling when he's not that much younger than Tanahashi <laughs> could be a bit of a problem, but we'll see. It's not like they haven't got main eventers coming out their ears, though, is it really? No, I mean, you, it's, it's just, this tournament has really been, you know, um, anytime Lance Archer got the potential to go on a significant run, you know, uh, Shingo's probably been a revelation to a lot of people. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, you know, we big juice guys here, me and James, and, and, and a lot of other people should be. So it's they're, they're not lacking for that. But Kota, with, I guess, Tanahashi, in a way, being his mentor uh, or the guy he ultimately looks up to, taking those nuances from guys like um, Nakamura, who, uh, along with Okada, was kind of like the, the three standards, if you will, uh, at one time. You know, he's really embraced that and then beating both, I think, what he both beat both Tanahashi and Okada in this tournament. Yeah. So, you know, that that's really just stepping stones towards him kind of placing himself as that guy who wants to be that guy to, to, to put the company on his back in a way towards you know uh getting that that title so yeah it kind of feels like a rod of passage although the age thing is quite funny we kind of have to remind ourselves just how well these guys age yeah <laughs> but, but, you know they, they have about as equal amount uh, if not more mileage on the body so you know uh we'll see but it does feel like coldest time it really does, and you know, in the in the aftermath of the G1, there has been press conferences. Now, of course, this year 
New Year's Dash is at the Tokyo Dome. So on the 4th is Wrestle Kingdom and the 5th is New Year's Dash. And, and it's one of these things that, I, as I mentioned in the conversation with Mo, which we'll listen to in a moment, I did point out that I would like to get your opinion on it because it could be interesting. But it's one of these things that they kind of tease, but I know they'll never do, which was Ibushi saying that he would like to challenge for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, which we assume will be a card. He might lose it before then, uh, on the New Year's, New Year's um, sorry, at Wrestle Kingdom, and then challenge for the Intercontinental Championship at New Year's Dash. Which would be like you know ludicrous to have one of those big main event New Japan matches two days running, but it's Kotobushi and he's that kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he really is. <laughs> so we'll see, but that's it really. Right, we'll hand over to myself and Mo Chatra at this point, um, and you can have a listen to Mo and see what he thought of the main event and the other things he picked up on from uh, the G1 climax this year. <laughs> So, I'm here talking to Mo Chatra of uh, The Daily Mirror and various other publications down the years. And uh, we're talking about the G1 Climax final. Mo, what were your thoughts overall on the two finalists for a start? What did you think about Ibushi and uh, Jay White? And what do you think of the match they produced? Well, um, when I was last on the podcast, I did um, predict that there would be a final of Ibushi and Naito. And uh, I was hugely disappointed that Naito didn't make the final and Jay White did. And that's not to say that I've got anything hugely against uh, Jay White. It's just um, I don't think he's as great a worker as uh, Naito. And I thought he against Ibushi uh, would have been one of the classic G1 Climax finals. Um, That said, um, I still thought that the um, fact that there was this story of... um, Jay White making a very slow start to the G1 and then having to essentially win every match to make it through um, made it somewhat interesting. And, uh, you know, with the angle that they ran after the uh, match between um, Ibushi and, oh, who was it now? Was it um, on night 17, was it? Night 18? Um, But the final match, um, Ibushi needed to win. Um, to get through to the final, and then he won the Akada. match. And then Akada, there we go. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, memories going. Um, you know <laughs> that that angle um, kind of sort of set things up nicely for the next night, but it also told me that you know it would be a match that would be heavier on storyline, and perhaps at the detriment of the quality of the match. And I felt that so. You know, true enough, that's exactly how it panned out. I thought it was still a really good match. I thought it was a great match, in fact. But comparing it to some of the G1 Climax finals of the last several years, I thought it didn't live up to those levels. Um, And it was because they were trying to tell the story of um, the ankle injury. They were trying to tell the story of uh, Jay White um, using those kind of heelish tactics to try and um, overcome Ibushi. And also um, the Bullet Club kind of influence as well and the interference that we saw during the match. So the quality of the match was always going to suffer to an extent by them trying to put all of that stuff over. Uh, But nonetheless, I I still thought that the the final stretch was still really exciting. But comparing it to the last three or four finals, for me, it wasn't quite at that level. But um, we had the right outcome in the end. I thought that Ibushi was absolutely deserving of uh, the victory 
and it sets things up beautifully for um, Wrestle Kingdom in January, where you know you should from this point expect um, Ibushi to take on um, well certainly the IWGP champion, and in many ways it would make sense for it to be Okada. It does. I mean, uh, looking at the press conference today, um, they're kind of hyping the possibility of Okada on uh, Wrestle Kingdom and uh, Naito on New Year's Dash, which would be because they're doing the two. They're doing the Tokyo Dome back to back this year. New Year's Dash is going to be in the Tokyo Dome, not K Hall. And Ibushi is kind of like pushing the idea of win, beat Okada for the title on the fourth, and beat Naito for the title on the fifth. Which I don't think they will do because this is the kind of thing they tease and then never do. Mm. So, but it is an interesting concept to have to like, and Ibushi's kind of like the crazy nut bar is going to do two massive half hour back to back main events, isn't he, in two days? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, because yeah. <laughs> he doesn't do things by half, does he? No, I believe he had his common sense surgically removed at the age of 23. Um, but uh, yeah, so I don't really know. But I, I will agree with you that it was the right story to tell with the right guy at the right time. Because uh, I have to say, I actually got goosebumps when um, Red Shoes called Rocky Romero over to kick Jado out, and it was like this reminds me of watching like big baby face moments in American wrestling matches in the nineties. It's very, it was kind of a very WCW early eighties WWE thing. Where like the baby most babyface thing to do is to get Rocky to get rid of Gato, and they did. And it was like, this is really cool. It's the kind of thing I like, but I don't necessarily think it's the kind of thing all New Japan fans like. But certainly the Budokan Hall like crowd like that stuff. Yeah, no, it went down pretty well with them, and um, you know, it just made it all the sweeter when Ibushi finally did triumph at the end. Um, and you know, th- there'll be certain people that you know that kind of stuff will resonate with, and especially those that grew up on. Um, you know, WWE, WWF, um, American wrestling. Um, whereas for somebody like myself um, who grew up in British wrestling, one of the things that appealed to me about Japanese wrestling in the 90s when I started watching it for the first time is that it was more similar to the British wrestling that I grew up with. Um, there was more of a sports element to it and more uh, athletic element to it. Um, whereas uh, there was obviously clearly less of the storyline telling and obviously there was still some of that as well it's not as if yeah, the Japanese yeah. wrestling had no um storylines or angles there, there's a fair bit of that but um across a, a whole show um you know it's typically be restricted to maybe the top two or three matches um mm. much like british wrestling um but you know n- nonetheless uh, when it's done right it, it can be very effective and i thought overall it, it was um and, you know, the, the clear long-term intention also is to really establish Jay White as this over-heel character. And, you know, I think that work that they've done with him this year, you know, the work he's done um, in terms of improving those little things, those intangibles, um, you know, has started to pay off. And I thought that um, he really came across as a, a bona fide star in this match in much the same mm-hmm. way that he did against Moxley a few nights earlier. So, um, you know, that, that, that character work certainly seemed to pay off. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I think Jay White's a much more viable proposition now than he was a year ago. In fact, to be honest with you, he looks like a more viable proposition than when he won the belt six months ago, um, yeah. which, is, which is no bad thing. You know, it's like he's growing. There are plenty of people who get kind of 
pushed into that position of being the guy and it's not the easiest job in the world to take on when you you know it's your first serious assignment as a main eventer and you know it's easy to stumble and fall and he's certainly kind of kept up this year better than he has done in years past because it's like i guess this is the second going into the third year of his since his return from excursion and he he looks the guy he looks the man he looks like he wants to be the leader of bullet club and be a leader in the locker room and be one of those guys, one of those AJ Styles, Kenny Rogue mega guys. And it's certainly working for him, I think. Oh, it is. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's been a long journey for him in terms of this push um, at the, you know, the beginning stages when it became clear that Gato had intentions to be turning him into a main eventer. Um, I was very doubtful that, you know, they'd be able to achieve it. I didn't think that this was the right person to be attaching that kind of rocket to, um, but they've persisted with it and he's worked hard at it as well, um, in fairness to him. And, um, you know, I think that the results are starting to show now. And I think with another maybe year or two of refining that character and also just working on his in stuff as well, um, you know, by the time he's hitting his late 20s, he could really be coming across as one of the preeminent all-round workers in the business and um you know that, that that's the kind of uh perseverance that you know new japan has um with some of its stars and decisions that they make to push them whereas with wwe for example um you know it's a matter of weeks often and if those <laughs> talents don't get over in um that short time frame then they are discarded back into mid-card oblivion and um then they go back to the Undertaker being recalled for the 500th time or some other such, um, you know, knee-jerk reaction. So, you know, all, all credit to New Japan, you know, that they do try and book longer term. And even if things don't click straight away, they will persist. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that that's, that's working out for Jay White. One more thing before you go. Someone who did suffer that kind of WWE politics made a big splash at the G1 finals, and that was Kenta. Joining Bullet Club and turning on his uh, former best friend, Katsuyori Shibata, uh, and the Chaos New Japan Army generally, do you think this is a good move for Kenta? Because it kind of gives him some more angle, doesn't it? And gives him somewhere to go to. Yeah, I think it does. Um, you know, through the tournament, you know, he was obviously um, working into his in-ring, some of that kind of subtle heel stuff and um so there's a bit of a teasing going on that, that you know that's eventually what could happen and a potential turn against shibata and obviously they pair the two together um you know after a kenta debuted so it seemed you know certainly there was a lot of talk that eventually that sort of thing could happen but the way it panned out uh, and the fact it happened on that particular night um you know was so beautifully done and uh, the interaction with Shibata and you know, him getting physical as well, that was something that I, I think many people did not expect, me included. And um, it was very, very effectively done. One of the most effective um, angles I've seen for many a year. And um, the way it worked was just great. And it, I think it will help Kenta really get over as yet another viable um, borderline main event star. So I think that they could book him in to a triple crown, sorry, not triple crown, um, an IWGP <laughs> championship match. Um, I've got all Japan on the mind. <laughs> um, they, they could book him into IWGP championship match and, um, you know, he will absolutely belong. 
and the matches that he delivered during the tournament as well show that he can still go. And um, you know, the, the last you know four or five weeks were a huge career renaissance for that individual. And I'm glad to see again because you know, going back 10, 15 years, he was one of the top 10 workers in the business. And the fact that, you know, he's approaching um, his 40th birthday, but he's still, despite clearly not being quite his absolute pinnacle, um, still able to go and still able to deliver very, very high quality performances. It's great to see. But no, I, I really like the angle and I think that it adds a added character dimension. I think that they can go in many different directions with with that. So really intrigued to see where uh, Gado takes Kentar. Um, but uh, no, that, that was beautifully done. Yeah, excellent work. Uh, All Japan today, by the way, announced their uh, Destroyer Memorial card with Jushin Liger tagging with Keiji Muto and Miyahara from All Japan today, which is like the bizarrest tag team ever, but brilliantly well put together. And the fact that, that some of those people weren't even talking to each other six months ago tells you how fast the Japanese wrestling scene's moving these days. <laughs> <laughs> Anything for Jushin, eh? Yeah, you can... Uh... Yeah certainly help to mend some fences for sure definitely well thank you very much for talking to us today no no thank you apologies i couldn't be uh, with you for much longer than i am but um no it was it was another great g1 possibly the best ever um so it was an absolute joy as a wrestling fan um to watch it all the way and to talk a little bit about it over this podcast and when i was on last week so uh, yeah thanks for having me on well, we've got Royal Quest coming up. Do you fancy coming back to have a chat about that? Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Um, I'll be, um, yeah, ringside for that. Well, second row. Um, so I'm really, really looking forward to it. And the lineup was obviously announced just this past week. So really strong lineup. Um, it could have been a lot worse. And, uh, yeah, some really intriguing matches, not least Akana against uh, uh, Minoru Suzuki. So, yeah. Very, very exciting, and yeah, absolutely uh, happy to uh, join you to run through the show after it's taken place. Excellent. Well, we'll speak to you then. Thank you very much, man. Cheers, James. Uh, thank you, sir. Right. So that pretty much covers our coverage for the G1 Climax for this year. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Alex Edwards, Alex Watt, uh, Ash Rose, Nova, El Fantasmo, my boss at uh, Indie Empire Wrestling Magazine. <laughs> uh, I'd also like to thank Mr. Marcus Green for his attention today and for his uh, in- brilliant wrestling commentary, as always, throughout this tournament. And thank you very much for your time, sir. Uh, thank you. Always a pleasure. I'm glad I was able to uh, make it. I, well, I appreciate it being on with you. I always love doing podcasts with you, Marcus. You are an awesome person to talk to. All right. You can find Marcus at Paradox Kid on Twitter. You can find me at Sheriff Lone Star on Twitter. You can also find us on Twitter as The Troopany Show. That's Troopany Show on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook as The Troopany Show and on Patreon, The Troopany Show, where you can keep us free forever for everyone. Of course, we've been out of sync with the G1, but we get back to Mondays next week, and you're definitely going to hear that classic podcast with John's Dinsdale that I did about the post- uh, FMW era without Anita uh, because I've, I I want a week off because I've been doing the G1 for about a month and I've been podcasting three times a week and, and I'm tired um, so I will go on my summer holidays and we will get back to some superb wrestling when it comes to probably the Super J Cup I think is probably the next thing we should cover 
We'll talk about that in a production chat, and I don't know who'll be there because it's going to be a week away. So we'll talk about that soon. Thank you very much for listening to us today. You should go read Indie Empire magazine. There will be articles out on that next on this next issue coming out soon. Uh, Ash and myself write for that magazine as well. Some other fantastic writers. You should also go to watch powerslam.tv, one of our partners. And if you use our code MULLETWATCH, you get a free month. If there isn't enough wrestling in the world for you, you can find some classic wrestling from Progress, from Sendai Girls, uh, from OTT, and some brilliant wrestling from all over the world. And other podcasts as well. They have video podcasts on there now too, if you want to go have a listen to them. Thank you very much for joining us today. It's Code Rabushi at Wrestle Kingdom as the G1 Climax champion, challenging for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Will it be the Rainmaker? Well, we'll see in a few weeks' time, won't we? Take care, and we'll see you soon. Bye. <laughs>